1: This is Ryan Archie Dak, and I'll shout out to the Bulls HQ Podcast, all the way from Australia, who represent and thanks for all the support. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. On the Bulls front, there isn't much noteworthy news or topics to be discussing, but the NBA finals are about to get going. And as we're all basketball fans who love to talk and listen to all things hoops, I thought we could hit on the finals, the matchup between the Suns and Bucks, And because this is a Bulls podcast, maybe we can sneak in a way to tie this all back to our Bulls. And... I don't know about you listening to this show, but for me, given that we have had to sort of endure so many, well, four bad seasons of bad Bulls basketball, I often find myself gravitating towards certain teams and teams who actually play good and winning basketball. And I, th- I think I need to do that just to offset the bad and drama-filled plot lines that we have sort of had the last few seasons with the Bulls. And just by chance, two of the teams that I've sort of gravitated towards are the Bucks and the Suns. And you know, that the Bucks have been that way for me just due to Giannis and, you know, me having a bit of a Greek background. Like that there's obviously an obvious connection for me there. But going forward this season, for whatever reason, I found myself really gravitating towards the Phoenix Suns. And I suppose you could say the Suns have been my second team this season. After years of rebuilding and aimlessly wandering at the depths of the Western Conference, they've they've come good and they've come really good in fact. Maybe, maybe some uh, subconsciously that I've adopted the Suns, given that um, I'm hopeful that their turnaround could be somehow mimicked for our Bulls. Another reason for me as well is like everyone listening knows this, but I am a big Chris Paul fan, a player who maybe outside of Jimmy Butler is my favorite player in the league. Someone I wanted to see the Bulls trade last offseason. Obviously, the Suns did what I hoped the Bulls were doing. Or would do so there is a bit of a synergy there or a connection there for me there as well personally and I know everyone's not the biggest Chris Paul fan but uh you know screw you I am <laughs> so they've become my adopted team I will be rooting for them in the finals like it is a bit tough to be rooting for them in the finals given that they are going up against Giannis but nonetheless I want to see my guy Chris Paul slay all the shitty narratives about him and today I wanted to take this opportunity to turn Bulls HQ into Suns HQ and here to help me do so is a fellow Australian who's been covering his Sons from abroad, and he's been doing it at such an absurdly impressive level. He's extremely detailed and analytical, and to my eyes and ears at least, uh, provides the best Sun-centric analysis I've come across. So with that in mind, I'm very pleased to welcome Suns blogger and podcaster David Nash onto the show, a fellow I've been living
0: vicariously through over the last few months. David, how are you, mate? I'm doing good, Mark. It's good to join you. It's uh I feel like I'm hearing myself a little bit there as you talk about the <laughs> Chicago Bulls. I know we talked a little bit about it privately before this, trying to to hook up the time for this pod, but there is a little bit of synergy there between the Bulls uh and where the Suns have come from and and hopefully for Bulls fans in the East uh where you might go in seasons to come. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about Suns, I'm excited to talk about some of those parallels to the Bulls and maybe give some hope to some of your fans listening out there of how it can be very quickly turned around because I sure as hell did not expect to be sitting in this position right now uh, waiting for the NBA finals with uh, my Phoenix Suns ready to play the Bucks.
1: Yeah, look, mate, there are there are some obvious synergies between the Bulls and Suns. And look, that is my way of maybe connecting this thing back to the Bulls. And I always watch the NBA through a Bulls lens or a Bulls perspective, even when the, the team isn't necessarily involved. And to be fair, I haven't seen them play basketball for a few months now, but <laughs> I'm still looking and thinking about things from a Bulls perspective. Like, like for example, last, off, uh, last, last playoffs, it was just this glaring fact that the Bulls were running with two big power forward center type options up front while whilst you're sort of watching the playoffs and you're seeing smaller units sort of dictate how the playoffs are being played essentially and that was that was a theme for me last season this time around I guess similar to what the Suns are doing I guess it's just this you know this obvious need that you need more perimeter playmaking you need some sort of veteran guidance to sort of lead a younger team like the Bulls well, they were a younger team, I suppose. They made that trade of Vucevic, but you need some sort of a you know vet presence on the court who can sort of be the coach on the floor. And like that's been very, very clear to me watching this Suns team that, you know, the the uh, the infusion of Chris Paul onto the Suns has sort of dramatically changed how this team, how this franchise has obviously fared. And to your point there, you weren't expecting the Suns to be in the finals. I don't think anyone were was rather heading into heading into the season, um, there's, there's probably still some some doubters out there. There's probably some that are still going to diminish their their achievements thus far along the way, but um, like I said at, from the outset, sc- screw those people. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess before we get into covering the finals and those sorts of things, going more into, in, into depth about the, the matchup between the Bucks and, and the Suns and, and just how the Suns turned this around, uh, I'd be interested to, co- to cover off your background, I suppose. And look, for me, I, I, I don't often get an opportunity to talk to a fellow uh, Australian who's covering a specific team from a podcasting standpoint so I always personally I always enjoy these podcasts I I don't know if the listeners want to be listening to two Australian accents but um, (laughs) nonetheless it's it's fun for me but uh, yeah maybe take me through your background how you started covering the Suns why the Suns what made you gravitate towards the Suns Um, you know obviously for me it's it's
0: it's interesting given we're in a similar situation but uh, yeah how did you how did how did this all start for you? So I'm I'm just a fan. Uh I've been a fan of the Suns pretty much since the last time they went to the finals. So uh, without aging myself too much here, uh you know, I became a fan on the back of that 93 run when I was I was a little kid uh back in uh, Australia back in those days it was pretty hard to get uh, basketball content, there wasn't yeah. things like League pass and stuff like that, so I was watching mm-hmm. a lot of uh, VHS tapes, you know, compilations of Jordan and Magic, and one of the other guys that would often pop up on those compilations was Charles Barkley, yeah. uh, and I just gravitated towards him and, and started following the Suns, you know, us Aussies, typically don't uh you know root for the the championship team. We like we like to pick an underdog and and I certainly picked one that uh has taken a long, long time to get back uh to the NBA. Uh really kind of got passionate about the team uh in the seven seconds or less days, I suppose, um was when the team was, you know, the best it has been up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, that's probably a good segue. I, I started a podcast about uh, three years ago now called the seven seconds or less podcast with a friend of mine who I met, uh, over Twitter, uh, that lives in Phoenix, Arizona and is a fellow Suns fan. And, uh, we started podcasting about the team independently. Um, and the team was, was, uh, not a great one to talk about. You know, we're talking about the, the seasons where they won 19 and 20 and something games. Uh, and, you know, we both, um, toiled away, uh, got really interested in the draft and free agency as you do when the team's not doing very well. Um, and have been doing it ever since kind of off and on uh, a little bit more recently obviously with the the team being in the playoffs and uh, wanting to get a bit more into that and, and talk about it but when we did have a, a bit of a hiatus from the podcast um, I started a substack newsletter I was getting a lot more into doing film and uh, video analysis of the team tracking set plays that they run and things like that and I was noticing that uh, at least the fans online were enjoying it too. So started that up, uh, again independently and have been doing that for about, uh, one and a half years now. Um, and it's just nice to be able to, uh, talk about a team this deep into the playoffs and and keep that going. So yeah, that's that's a bit of my story, really. Uh, just a fan that that likes to talk too much about the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> no, I, I definitely I definitely hear
1: you there, mate. I guess the one difference in us is that um, you gravitated towards the underdog, and and most certainly like that's. That's the Australian way, let's say. But for me, I was a bit of a bandwagon in that sense that I jumped on the, on the Bulls bandwagon. Uh, I won't rub in that 93 result too much. And to be fair, I mean, I'm still not over the John Paxson era here in Chicago. So I don't really like to celebrate his game winning jump shot there. So you won't hear me, uh, stunting on that one in that yeah, sense. Yeah, fair and enough. That sun team, that sun's team actually was really fun to, uh, to go back and watch anyway, so I actually like that Suns team back then. But um, yeah, no, I I, I, te- I definitely get where you where you're coming from. But uh, it has been noticeable, I suppose. Most certainly this season, I suppose, given that I, that you have a, a really good team to follow, which I'm assuming has infused uh, or has given you more some more energy in terms of you know your analysis and putting more time into it. But it has been pretty noticeable, I think, in the last. Six, twelve months, whatever it may be, that uh, your your coverage is sort of ramped up, and you know, I'm not a Suns fan. I, I they're my adopted team, but um, <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed you know watching and cover seeing your your tweets, reading your stuff, and um listening to your show. That that has been uh, interesting for me as a uh, an adopted fan. Let's say where where can people follow that
0: stuff online? Uh yeah. So the Substack is the Four Point It's a newsletter you can subscribe to for free. Um, And that's got a lot of my content on it. All the podcasts that we do now go up through that as well. And then just follow me on Twitter. It's also the four point play, uh, but the four is IV, uh, the Roman numeral. I'm sure you can find me through Mark's Twitter uh, and and follow me. And I just love talking about uh, the Suns and basketball in general. So yeah, they're, they're the spots right now.
1: Yeah, for sure, and you're obviously going to be a must-follow over the the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, I guess that's a good segue to to speak about the Suns because yep. um, it has been a pretty remarkable season. I, and, and maybe this is the the underdog theme event, and why I maybe connected to the Suns this time around. Because yeah, I guess no one really did expect them to be here in in the finals. At least I didn't even. I'm not even sure if people expected them to go this. You know, into the second round, the Western Conference Finals, whatever it may have been. Uh, You will hear people sort of uh, lamenting, you know, who they have or haven't faced in the playoffs. But it's all nonsense to me because this team has been, you know, freaking good all season. So, I guess what's really interesting to me is, like, how, how did this all happen? Like, obviously, the Chris Paul trade happened. They signed Jay Crowder. But there has to be something more than just a couple moves here on the periphery that has sort of turned this team from... A bad rebuilding team where you had questionable management, you had bad ownership, things I'm very familiar with at this point. <laughs> you've gone from a situation where you're consistently picking high in the draft, those picks not necessarily materializing into the into the hopes and dreams fans, I suppose, would have have. Again, something that I'm familiar with. But yep. um, you've gone from that situation where maybe the Bulls have sort of found themselves over the last three to four years to now literally being in the finals. Like, how did this all happen for the Suns?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I, it's definitely happened quicker and been more accelerated than I'm sure even the Suns would have expected, uh, not to put words in their mouth, but I don't think anyone saw it coming along this quickly. But, you know, if you were to pick a moment or moments, I, I think you mentioned it there and that's where the synergy with the Bulls. Kind of starts, you know. We've still got the same ownership. Uh, it's not often that ownership changes mm-hmm. in the NBA, so there's not okay. a lot you can do about that. So I wouldn't, you know, lament as a Bulls fan who your owner is or the mistakes that they've made in the past. But what you need them to do is you need them to hire the right guys in in kind of the two key positions they're heading up the basketball operations and obviously as your head coach. And uh, that's what the Suns did a couple of years ago. Now. Uh, They had James Jones waiting in the wings, watching Ryan McDonough uh, from afar, and, and he stepped in as the general manager, as soon as Ryan McDonough was fired in, in 2018. Uh, and then after one year of, of Igor Kokoskov, who I really enjoyed to be perfectly honest, but he just wasn't the right man for, for this team at the time. They needed more of a vocal leader who could really command the presence of the players. And and they went out and got Monty Williams, which was a huge get. And they committed to him for five years to get him to choose the Suns over some other options. He even, uh, I think was in the running for the Lakers job at that point in time before they went with Frank Vogel so they they went out and rate right and then made a, a couple of really strong moves uh, that put kind of leadership behind this team uh, gave it a little bit of a direction uh, and you can really see that that's when things started to turn around uh, they had um, a, a bumpy season as I mentioned with Igor as the coach and James Jones as the interim general manager but as soon as he was solidified uh, that off season uh, he fired Igor. Uh, He hired Monty, Uh, the Suns brought in some support around him, guys like Jeff Bauer who had front office experience uh, with the Detroit Pistons and a few other places before that. Uh, And things just started to go on the up and up, you know, obviously last season didn't make the playoffs, had a pretty solid season uh, and then obviously finished with that 8-0 run in the bubble that got everyone's attention and then they've just springboarded. Uh, off that and then made some of those moves that you mentioned, you know, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, uh brought the leadership in on the floor as well. But really all started with the leadership uh off the floor. So uh for Bulls fans, I know uh came on, was it last off season, I think? Yeah, yeah. Um and you've got a little bit more stability there, uh, in those two positions. So I think for Bulls fans you would be hoping uh for a similar type of thing to happen over the next couple of seasons here.
1: Yeah, hopefully. I mean, yeah, we we were we we're very hopeful i suppose that uh you know Donovan and uh kind of could maybe do some similar things to what Monty Williams and James Jones are maybe doing in Phoenix yeah uh i think this is going to be a critical off season and i think past this off season when we is when we can truly judge how effective they've been but uh it is kind of make or break time for kind of and Donovan given that they've sort of accelerated the timeline here in terms of going in for a win now move like yep. Lucevic, which is maybe similar to what the Suns did when they traded for Chris Paul. I know, you know that that was something I wanted to see the Bulls do. Uh, I, Chris Paul probably never wanted to come to Chicago, but nonetheless, I wanted to see the Bulls go after him. because like, he, it just made so much sense to put him next to someone like Zach Levine, who hadn't been to the playoffs before, has a uh, a reputation of being a uh, a good stats bad team player sort of thing. Yeah, I wanted to see that sort of. That narrative ends similarly for guys like Larry Market and Wendell Carter like having a vet like Chris Paul would have made so much sense so to see them not necessarily do that not necessarily address the point guard issue at all or not really add veterans until sort of halfway through the season but then to see the Suns do what I had hoped the Bulls had done. I kind of feel some way justified in what what has happened with Chris Paul, as I mentioned at the top there. Like, I am a massive Chris Paul fan. Yeah, he's gotten to the right situation. He wanted to stay closer to the West, closer to his family. Yeah, and it just made sense to be in Phoenix. So, uh, as much as this is about James Jones, good coaching from Monty Williams, all that sort of stuff, like h- how much, if we can put a percentage on it, I don't know if we can, but like how much of the impact or this reversal or this change that the Phoenix has sort of gone through over the last sort of six to 12 months, how much can that sort of be dribbled down to
0: someone like Chris Paul, his influence on and off the floor? Oh, a a huge amount. You know, I like to give credit to to Monty and James Jones first and foremost, and they kind of act as a team. You know, Chris Paul's talked about it in a few of his post-match press conferences uh, during the playoffs here. You know, the reason he came to Phoenix, guys like Willie Green, who he played with in New Orleans, was an Mm -hmm. assistant coach. Uh, Monty Williams, he had... Uh, history with Monty, he had history with James Jones on the Players Association. Uh, he had history with Jeff Bauer. He uh, loved Devin Booker's game from afar and said that that you know, was the main reason that he wanted to come to Phoenix. But they kind of are, are this team of stability um around the suns which is uh, just crazy even thinking or or saying those words from where we've come from from the the few years prior but the impact often on the floor of someone like Chris Paul you know future hall of famer clearly commands the respect of all the young guys on the team i know Devin Booker and Deandre Ayton specifically were over the moon when they traded for him as much as they loved Ricky Rubio you know just the esteem of a guy like Chris Paul brings so much more Uh, to to that locker room, and he demands a lot. I know there's a couple of guys we'll talk about um, a little bit more in the pod, uh, but, you know, you can't speak highly enough of of the impact that Chris Paul has had on a lot of these young guys, making sure they lock in. You know, there were a team last year with Ricky Rubio that still made a lot of mental mistakes, still turned the ball over, uh, gave up late-game leads, um, you know, had huge runs both uh in game and and in season, where they would lose multiple games on the run and and then win multiple games, so you kind of saw the the hope. Um, but there was also a, a lot of peaks and troughs during the season as well. You bring Chris Paul in, that all goes out the window. It's just steady, uh, as they go the whole way through. Uh, took them a little bit. I think they were eight and eight at the start of the season. Yeah. And then it kind of springboarded from there. Uh, and he was just solid the whole way through, doesn't turn the ball over, uh, and is just a huge, huge impact guy on the rest of the roster. So yeah, I mean, to put a number on it, um, is, is really difficult, yeah. but I think if you, you're talking about uh, where did this come from, uh, this is maybe two, three years earlier than what everybody expected, I think the answer when you come back to it is a guy like Chris Paul.
1: I think that's fair, and uh, I think there, there's a lot of doubters out there, a lot of haters maybe for the way he sort of carries himself, his antics and those sorts of things, but at this point, particularly in like the the closeout games against the Nuggets and obviously the, the other week against the Clippers, like this is... Hall of Fame legendary stuff that we're witnessing right now and yeah. uh, I hope people can sort of appreciate it, and, and I hope it continues obviously into the finals but Jay Crowder as well was like a really good low-key signing not mm-hmm. not just because obviously he's a, obviously a good good role player you know someone that any team would like to have and it, you know I think I've I've heard it, it's either been reported or I heard on a podcast that 15-20 teams were sort of chasing Jay Crowder but yep. he, chose, he chose the Suns but What he also enabled this team to be is a smaller, quicker, better defensive squad as well. And I know through the season, sort of Monty was sort of playing with his lineups as to, you know, who would be that fifth starter, let's say. He settled on Jay Crowder and obviously made sense to do so, but like he as well has been super
0: important for this Suns team as well. He's been huge. And, you know, you talk about these decisions that get made that lead to a run like this. The Suns after the Chris Paul trade really only had... Uh, the mid-level exception to use they were over the cap you know mm-hmm. they brought chris in who obviously makes over 40 million dollars you don't have a lot of uh, room to move but they did have the mle if you go back and look at all the mle signings now j crowd is far and away the best guy that they could have got yeah. uh, with that I, i'm off the top of my head you know it's guys like tristan thompson uh dj augustine Surge. um so Sur- yep so you know they they're, they're there wasn't a lot out there and they've just gone and nailed it. And as you said, had a lot of competition for that, but managed to convince him uh, probably after the Chris Paul trade, I suppose uh, that Phoenix was, was the place to be Uh, made the commitment financially. I think that was a big thing that got him over the line. You know, the heat were obviously offering him one of those inflated one year deals, but he, he wanted to be somewhere for a while now and uh three years at the MLE number uh, got him over the line and, yeah, we talk about the, the elevation from Chris Paul, uh, from Ricky Rubio. Uh, similarly, it was Kelly Oubre who was that starter, uh, pre bubble last season. And mm-hmm. then Cam Johnson was the starter at power forward in the eight the no bubble run. Uh, it's kind of addition by subtraction is the, is the way that I talk about it with a guy like Jay Crowder going in. You know, as, as much as I loved Kelly Oubre, the fan base loved Kelly Oubre, he is kind of seen as, um, you know, one of the, the key figures that did turn the culture around and made it fun to be a, a Suns fan again. Um, but he demanded too much of the ball. Uh, he wasn't a great shooter from deep. He took touches off Devin Booker, uh, didn't lock in defensively all the time. Uh, so, was one of those kind of flashy guys, but that wasn't consistent enough. And, you know, Jay Crowder's the Complete antithesis of that. He is just going to st- sit out on the perimeter, knock down open shots when the ball swings to him, uh and play gritty defense and basically guard you know whoever you ask him to, whether it's big or small. So again, another just perfect signing for that position uh to surround the the three young guys, I suppose, in in Devon Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikael Bridges in that starting lineup.
1: Yeah, for sure. I look and again like going back to what i sort of said before like thinking about the way i think about basketball and constantly thinking about it or looking through a, a bulls perspective like i like the fact that uh, the Suns sort of committed to like that, that two wing option up front with yep. with obviously uh, eight in at center like that's something i've been begging for the bulls to do so to see the suns <laughs> go and do that and you know put two wings on the on the, on the, on the starting unit, but then obviously you got someone like Cam Johnson as well coming off the bench who's you know really proven in this postseason as well that he's going to be already is a really important uh role player for the squad. So like just those signings made so much sense for this this Suns team, yeah. where they were going, why they needed that those veterans infused into this lineup or into this roster rather. But I guess what to me where it's so evident where guys like Chris Paul and Jay Crowder I guess earn their money, and you know, in Chris Paul's case, it's it's a lot of money. But I suppose <laughs> yeah. where it's been really evident is just like the growth with DeAndre Ayton, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting here watching this dude, and like to, to be frank, I didn't think he was going to be this good. And going back to my thoughts back in 2018, that was a key draft for our Bulls as well. I, I was of the opinion that the, you know the best bigs in that draft were Jaron Jackson Jr. and Wendell Carter. Yep. Uh, so I was happy that we got Wendell Carter. I was a Wendell Carter stand. I still am. I still hopeful that he can be a player. But I kind of had DeAndre Ayton behind those guys. Yeah. So I was feeling good about like not necessarily having you know, the number one pick, or if I did, you know, it would have been Doncic. But I didn't. I didn't care that I missed out on Ayton. I'll say that. Yeah. But. I'm watching him now and he, like, he's sort of maximizing the best version of himself. He sort of accepted like, I just want to be the best role-playing version of himself. And in, and in doing so, has become like an absolute star in that specific role. Yeah. And I just don't know if that happens for a guy who was taken, number one- previously, who probably, see, oh, probably you know, in his first season, at least, was sort of relying a little bit too much on that step back, step back jumper, mm-hmm. sort of wanted to do the post stuff, wanted to be the star guy. Like, I don't know if this version of DeAndre Ayton happens without Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, which again, coming back to the Bulls, like- it's so important, like, getting in those veterans early around these younger guys through the, the initial stages of their development yeah. because it can t- just dramatically change the type of player they can be. And I, I guess that has been a learning for me watching the Suns. It's something that hasn't happened in, in Chicago. Clearly, something the, the Suns have gotten right. And because of that, we're seeing a, uh, a reimagined or, or the best version of DeAndre. And so maybe you can just give me a quick, uh, you know, a quick overview of of how it all started with with Aiton and how he sort of progressed to the point now where he was arguably the Suns' most important player against the Clippers.
0: Yeah, I think you hit on a few things there that I talk about or have talked about quite a bit through the first three years of DeAndre Aiton's career. I think you've hit the nail on the head. This doesn't happen very often. You know, you don't get a former number one pick who sacrifices so much of his game uh, to just be the best version that this team currently needs you know yeah. there's always egos with with uh number one picks or, or lottery picks uh you know there's always the impending uh um you know extension talk which for DeAndre Ayton is is this off season and you know mm-hmm. you would have thought that a lot of people fall into the trap of you know I want to show everything that I can do not only yeah. to my team but all the other teams out there uh that can see that I'm I'm worthy of the number 1 pick and and worthy of a max extension what they managed to get uh DeAndre to do and and convince him to do was to Take some of those things and and throw them out the window, as you said, the post stuff, the the elbow jumper stuff, and just go, hey, how about you be uh, our anchor on defense, our play finisher on offense, set screens, roll hard, uh, let the shooters get open with the gravity that you possess. Basically, take the two or three NBA skills that you're really, really good at and just do those to the best of your ability. And if you do that and you take us to the finals, you're going to get your max extension. And that takes a lot of trust because no one would have been expecting uh, that that they were going to get this far doing that. But the other thing you hit the nail on the head with is the only way they could do something like that is when you make a trade for Chris Paul. The the Mm. biggest uh, concern, I suppose, that I had with trading for Chris Paul was that it accelerates that timeline and yeah. it makes you start to think about when now moves. You know, it's funny that we're doing this pod and, and talking about Vucevic a little bit because uh, I wanted Vucevic at the deadline. You know, okay. De- yeah. DeAndre Ayton's regular season wasn't great. He'd showed really um you know more consistent flashes of being able to do the things that he's doing in these playoffs more regularly, but then he'd go and have another four or five games where he was just totally non existent. And you know, that's the mindset that you get in when you've got a guy like Chris Paul. You're like, he's playing at an all star level still, an all NBA level still. He might do this for this season and maybe one more. Mm-hmm. You know, do you push the chips in now because who knows what's going to happen to this team after Chris Paul leaves. And you know, I I fell into that trap purely because of the the inconsistency that deandre was still playing with but uh little did we know it just took uh him getting to the playoffs and i think he's probably had one you know average game this entire playoffs and has just been unbelievable ever since and uh it it is it's a story of sacrifice Uh, i can't talk about it enough i try and give him credit whenever i possibly can uh on my podcast with my my podcast host max we've been giving votes after every series to try and work out uh, who the Suns MVP is at yep. the end of the day after all of this. And DeAndre leads that right now in okay. front of both Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Uh So I can't talk enough about how important he has been to this team during the playoffs. And it is, it's all those things that you spoke about. It's just playing elite defense on both bigs and smalls, uh, rolling down the, the lane uh and finishing at just an unbelievable level in the paint right now. And then when he doesn't, get the ball it's quite often you know shot out to our shooters who are knocking it down from deep because he can drag two or three guys into the paint so yeah he's he's kind of a an old school big in that sense like he he flirted with the three a little bit but they've taken that out of his game he really just you know runs rim to rim like an old school 90s big take out uh, some of the post stuff and uh you've got yourself a, a really really valuable player and um it's just going to be interesting to see where it goes from here because he definitely does have other elements to his game uh that I'm sure he's going to want to bring out maybe in a a post Chris Paul world where uh they lean on him to be a second option a little bit more with Devin Booker
1: yeah and i guess you know going back to the crowd assigning like you can have Eight and just be that big rim runner when you've got four like four four guys out on the floor, essentially mm-hmm. spacing the floor. So another reason why the crowd has sent that signing made sense. But but to your point, like eight needs to buy in, and you know maybe or he's spoken effusively about like how much he loves Chris Paul. The fact yep. that you've got Chris Paul maybe being the bad cop and then maybe Monty William being the good <laughs> the good cop. Yep. Let's say like that balance as well feels like perfectly right and it, yeah it's just it's just fascinating watching someone like Aiden, and even John Collins to an extent like over in Atlanta like these guys they've made themselves more money let's say they, they've made themselves um, more of a star by just sort of adopting this sort of role-playing role uh, this yeah. high level role-playing role but they're just doing the little things and you know it, it's funny how it's funny how that works out that that sort of has enabled them to become more of a household name. It's probably going to, uh, you know, Aiton's probably going to get a max extension extension now. I I don't know if that was going to be the case previously, Uh, which certainly with John Collins over in Atlanta, like the four for 90 that he turned down, like everyone was sort of mocking him for that, but he's probably earned himself more now after this sort of postseason run. So it's just, I don't know. It's interesting to see someone like Aiton go through this and just wonder how differently his career would be had it been, you know, a different situation, and again, like that's what I think about with the Bulls. Like, not to say suggest that Larry Markman or, or Wendell Carter would become max level players, but like if you had a Chris Paul running the show on the floor and you had a Monty Williams sort of coaching the team, like how differently do those players look? So like, it's just things like like that that I that I'm very interested to think about, and I'm, I'm constantly thinking about when I'm watching the Suns. And to that point, as, as, as well, I guess. The biggest obvious synergy between the Bulls and Suns is their shooting guard. Yep, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, a lot of crossover between these guys. I mentioned it before, but like Booker has been viewed as a good stats guy, but he's, you know he's routinely going to be on a bad a bad team just based on the way he plays and. I think Zach Levine still carries that uh, that stigma. It's it's mm-hmm. slowly starting to erode, but there are still still a lot of people out there who don't believe and still a lot of people out there within the Bulls fan base who still don't necessarily believe in Zach Levine. But we're sort of seeing what Devin, what you, what Devin Booker can be putting him next to a guy like Chris Paul with a coach like Monty supporting him with good players around the roster and I don't know I got, I've got hopes that Zach Levine can, some, can uh, make a similar leap I guess that Devin Booker has made in this postseason in the event both the Bulls get into the playoffs I'm hoping he can do something similar so like that to me is where there's so much crossover between the Bulls and the Suns but I don't know for you as a Suns fan having to put up with years and years of you know Maybe less so people in, in within the Phoenix fan base, but maybe outside voices, let's say, more yep. national analysts, you know, coming down on, on, on Devin Booker constantly. Like, is this validation for you and for Booker right now to see the type of player he's become this postseason or not even just this postseason, this entire season, really?
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It, it, we talk about it all all the time in the fan base. You know, um, you know. I do think that there is a lot of synergy there with Zach Levine as well, uh, which we can get into a little bit uh, for the Bulls fans listening and, and looking for a little bit of hope. It, if I'm perfectly honest, you know, yes, it's validation, but it also. Um, you know, it calls out a lot of the bullshit, to be perfectly yeah. honest, that, mm-hmm. that I'm sure your fans uh, and listeners of your show that are Bulls fans are, are sick of hearing uh, with Zach Levine because Devin Booker's probably been this version of himself for the last- two seasons now. I would say mm-hmm. that the back end of, uh, the 18, 19 season when we were very bad, uh, definitely last season when we were on the edge of the playoffs. And then this season, yes, of course he's improved like any young player does, but this version has been very, very obvious to anybody watching Devin Booker. Uh, and the only difference is, is that they got a better team around him. And if you go and look at his last three seasons of stats, they're very, very similar. So it's not like he's made this leap out out of nowhere. Once they put a good team around him, he's doing what he's always done. Uh, the Suns are just winning a hell of a lot more games because he's finally got other guys to come along for the ride with him. And you know, I'm looking at Zach and and Book's numbers from this last season. Book's 24, Zach's 25. Uh, they've both uh, gone 9.3. Uh, field goals made over 19.2 shots for book. Uh, Zach a little bit more efficient, 9.8 over 19.4, but pretty similar there. Zach's a much better three point shooter at the moment. Um, they both get to the line about the same amount, Book at five point nine and Zach at five point one. Uh they both rebound the ball four and five respectively. Uh Book averaged four point three assists to Zach's four point nine this season. Uh and both, you know, pretty high turnover rate. But, you know, again, that's that's comes with the territory of being a, a high yeah. usage uh shooting guard. So I think the main conversation here, um, and one that I fell into the trap with Booker, I think we all watched Guys like James Harden in the last few years, and when you've got a high usage shooting guard, you kind of you want him to almost become, you know, we call it point book. I'm sure Bulls fans probably have a similar thing, you know, point Zach or something maybe gets talked about uh, yeah. in your fan base and how uh, put the ball in his hands and, and put four guys around him. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, book has got that. You know, point book. Uh, game 1 against the clippers in the western yes. conference finals you yeah. know he had his first triple double ever of his career with chris paul out with the the health and safety protocols don't get me wrong he can do it uh, in spurts and and we definitely use it uh towards the ends of games as well during the season uh when they needed it too uh, but putting a point guard with him that can set him up and get him in all of his shots particularly early on in games has just done wonders for books game so i you know if I was a Bulls fan watching the Suns team, uh, I would be advocating very, very strongly to go and you're not going to get a Chris Paul. You know, that's a, a once in a hundred opportunity that kind of just presented itself to the Suns and everything fell right. Maybe yeah. that comes. Uh, but outside of that, I do think they need to prioritize getting a really, really solid point guard next to Zach. And and Zach will reap the benefits of that, still be able to be himself. Uh, and then as you said, a guy that can set up the other guys so that responsibility isn't also on Zach and Zach can just focus on uh, being him. Which is Mm -hmm. what Book has been able to do probably more this season. Like his assist numbers have gone down. It's probably the only thing that has decreased from last season to this season, and that's because you know it's Chris's responsibility more to set other guys up. You know, Book really only gets his assists now when he's trapped, uh, much like Zach gets uh, up a high on the pick and roll and and swings the ball and makes the right pass. I've always seen Zach do that too. I don't think he's a selfish player. He makes the right passes uh, when he needs to. So yeah, just take the workload off him a little bit more from a a playmaking perspective and just let Zach be Zach and and I think you would see a a similar result and uh, hopefully some validation Um, but you know what as I said at the start there try and block it out as much as you can Bulls fans because I got caught up in it uh, and as i said now i'm seeing all this stuff uh people paying attention to devin booker and i just kind of laugh because he's the same player we're just winning <laughs> games and it just yeah. it just shows you that so much of the media narrative comes down to uh the the team record and we yeah. even see it yeah. with a- award voting and stuff like that there's a lot of a lot of cheating that happens in coverage where they basically just look at the win loss column uh to to come up with a lot of their takes and and you've just got to block it out as much as you can
1: yeah, I mean, that—that that is good advice. Maybe certainly harder to do sometimes than, than not, <laughs> yes. but um, hopefully this season, upcoming season one, that they get that point guy that you speak of that can help sort of carry the load on offense for Levine. Like that would be ideal, that like, that will go a long way to improving that win-loss record and maybe that'll change the narrative around Levine. But yeah, th- that narrative and when it does start to change and it did start to change this season and- I don't know you you do feel like you want to clap back at those people that were doubters for so long but yeah. um there, there's there's even people covering this team right now that are still very much doubtful of of Zach Levine most notably over at the Chicago sometimes uh the reporter who won't be named but um <laughs> yeah you just want to you want to see a team around these guys so they can get you know the, the justification that they 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 are they deserve basically Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because, like, at this point, like with someone like Booker, like it's it's like, did he always have these passing chops? And he just it's, it was so much harder to, I guess, show those sorts of sorts of things when he sort of get constantly being doubled, not necessarily having the opportunities to to throw to a player like a J. Crowder or Michael Bridges or whoever it might be, or even Chris Paul to go and make that secondary action. Like when you don't have those sorts of guys around that, and then you're sort of kicking the ball out to players who are you know, significantly worse. Like, I, <laughs> yep. I don't know what people are expecting a player like Booker or Levine in in, in this situation to necessarily do. And, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's been awesome, I guess, seeing Booker do what he has done. And, and that gives me some hope that, you know, it's possible for Levine and the Bulls, I guess. But I, I guess we're, we – we've already spoken a little bit about Monty and, you know, yep. it, it is funny and talking about and thinking about these synergies between the Bulls and Suns, like – I tweeted this out the other day, but for whatever reason, I just reminded myself, but the Bulls extended Jim Boylan on the same day that the Suns hired Monty Williams <laughs> back in 2019, <laughs> I think it was. So like that that's just, that's a painful crossroads, I guess, situation for me to think about. And like we talked about before how, how you know, important Monty was in bringing Chris Paul over to Phoenix, but like, Is any of this possible without Monty Williams? I mean, we've talked about the importance of Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, how how influential they've been on DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker's rise, all that sort of stuff. But like, is any of this even possible without having someone like Monty sort of like, I guess, running the show, being being the type of person he is? I mean, to me, at least from my vantage point, it it doesn't seem like it is, but maybe I'm misguided. So, you know, is any of this possible without Monty?
0: No, I don't think it is. I alluded to it uh, earlier in the show where um, it was just- you know, the perfect uh, match for the time. You know, as I said, I loved Igor uh, as a tactical coach, but the Suns needed so much more than that at that time. They were an absolute basket case off the court. Ownership is, you know, was and and still is a little bit sketchy uh, in the history of owning the Suns overall. Uh, but the one good decision that they did they they did make is they kind of handed over the reins a little bit and stepped out of the way and let guys like Monty uh, and James Jones run the team. But um, perfect, um, perfect guy and candidate to go out and get for what they needed. They needed uh, a captain, really, to kind of right the ship. Ah, uh, there were so many things happening on and off the court that weren't going well, uh, and also just had the respect uh, of the entire league, so it it brought a certain cachet straight away to the Phoenix Suns, where people you know kind of took notice. it was like, oh, Monty Williams is willing to go um to the Phoenix Suns after they've just fired their you know fourth coach in in 4 years and um you know not got over winning 22 23 games in the last few years you know what's that all about uh he could have had you know any job he wanted as i said he was coming off being an assistant at Philly and a few other places uh, since his last head coaching stint, you know, I guess most famously or or sadly, I should say, you know, took a, a step away because of things that happened with his family and his wife passing away. And uh, when he decided that he wanted to be a head coach again, he was going to have his pick of, of multiple jobs. And the fact that he chose the Suns was a, a huge shot in the arm uh, for this franchise, uh, gave us some respect around the league almost straight away, uh, and just brought a respect to the locker room where you can tell those guys love Monty. They play for him. Uh, he shows a tremendous amount of faith in players, uh, much to, uh, the fan bases discuss sometimes when he sticks. <laughs> too much with a guy like maybe Dario Saric when he's struggling or um, plays Abdul Nader in the Western conference finals after he hasn't played for three months with a a knee surgery uh, injury. But it's little things like that, that when uh, they have a bounce back game, you know, Dario hit huge, two huge threes in game six uh, early on to basically play DeMarcus Cousins off the floor who was killing us. And they're the moments where you kind of go, you know what? Like, I know it's frustrating at times, but it, it must be just a huge joy for these guys to play for Monty Williams because they just go out and, and play for him every minute of every game. Yeah, for sure, and it's one of those ones that again I lament on thinking about
1: you know how how differently things could have been for the Bulls. It's like <laughs> the sliding door moments. Like yeah. obviously good for Monty, he's clearly made the right decision for him in his career. But uh, I, I wish he would have. Well, he didn't get the opportunity to choose to Chicago because the Bulls just didn't do a coaching search and they just, uh, <laughs> extended Jim Boylan, which was obviously a terrible decision. But, um, yeah, to your earlier comments, like the Suns have just been making the right decisions, I suppose, and, you know, largely have gotten everything right. I guess the one thing that maybe they haven't necessarily gotten right this season is maybe their draft pick. You know, maybe yep. you could have Halliburton right now. Like that's maybe the one thing. You know, you could add a decent role player to this squad right now. I'm mean, not necessarily getting a ton out of Jalen Smith, but like you found other things like, like former ball, like Cameron Payne, who's yep. come out of nowhere. And again, continuing the the connection, you've got Eton Moore on the bench as well, and he, yep. who used to be a favorite of mine. Like these guys come in and they contribute. And I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with the belief that someone like Monty sort of instills in these guys. So, uh, yeah, again, another reason to, to really be into what the Suns are doing because they've they've just gotten the decision right when I mean, who cannot root for Monty Williams? Like I, I wanna see this guy my, maybe more than anyone else win in this finals. Like that would be a huge story, a great story. So yeah. let's transition away there. Let's close with this finals matchup. Obviously we've done a, a deep dive into how the Suns sort of got to this point, but yep. schematically at least, I'm very interested to to hear from you about like how does this matchup play out? It's not necessarily the matchup most people thought uh, was going to be the finals, but yep. like I don't I don't know how often look, the Suns and and the Bucks they probably only met a couple times through throughout the season. I don't even know how how relevant that information is at this point, but like. How do you expect this finals matchup to play out? I guess a lot of it is contingent on the version of Giannis we do get, assuming we get a version of Giannis at all. But from your sons' perspective, how do you think this is going to play out from a matchup standpoint? What are you lo- looking to see? How do you think the Suns will win this finals?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. You mentioned um, you know, kind of schematically how they might match up and, and then looking at results uh, uh, from this year. Uh, and years gone past uh, particularly if Giannis plays I'm I'm expecting what could be just an all-time finals that I hope the Suns are on the right end of at the end of it but you know we the two games this year were a 128 to 127 uh, overtime victory to the Suns and a 125 to 124 victory to the Suns. So only two points between the two teams in the two matchups. And then even you go further back uh the season before and even the one before that when the Suns weren't very good, we've always given Milwaukee kind of some issues and you know, I think it, it, it's going to be close. There's going to be um, some games that go right down to the wire, which the Suns, to be honest, haven't experienced a hell, lot, a hell of a lot of it, it except for that one uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, oop with 0.9 seconds left against the Clippers uh, in game two, I think it was off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, they, they haven't experienced a lot of tight finishes and I'm expecting a lot of tight finishes in this one. I, I, kind of goes against that and, and contradicts it uh, with those high scores that I just talked about. Uh, the Bucks are the number one defensive team in the playoffs so far, and the Suns are number two. So I'm expecting a bit of a rock fight here uh, mm. that both teams aren't shooting as well as they did during the regular season, particularly the Bucs uh, and both teams are obviously uh, eking out a lot of their wins uh, on the defensive end. So I think, you know, the finals can be known to be, Uh, you know, a bit uglier on the uglier side of basketball, you know, (laughs) guys tense up a bit. Uh, there's, you know, absolutely everything on the line and, and you get dragged into not running some of your normal stuff and it being a little bit more, uh, down in the trenches. So that's kind of what I'm expecting here, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of. Uh, beautiful basketball. I don't think we're going to see you know the Bucks and Nets series, for instance, with lots of high scores and, and crazy finishes. Uh, I reckon this is going to be a real grinded out one. Uh, the Suns specifically, I can I guess talk about more. Obviously Kings are the mid-range. Uh, we see a lot of Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the mid-range. Shoot a decent amount from three, but not, you know, the high, high volume that some of those analytical teams go out and shoot uh, night in, night out. And then obviously you've got DeAndre Ayton at the rim cleaning everything up. So yeah, I think we'll see a lot of slow-paced half court. Uh, from a Suns perspective, I'm hoping that they can get out in transition a little bit more and get some easy buckets that way, because particularly if Giannis plays, uh, they're, they're a hell of a defensive team when they get set back in their half court. You know, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Giannis as well, uh, throw PJ Tucker in there, who's still a pretty good defender with, with some old Phoenix Suns ties. So I'm hoping we can pick up the pace a little bit and get some cheap points in, in transition because, uh, that's what we've done all season. Chris Paul pushing ahead. Guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, who we've mentioned so far, uh, are, are monsters in transition, you know, right up there with the best in the league in the way that you finish. And, and Devin Booker, obviously, is another one too. So, yeah, it's going to be a real interesting couple of first games to see how they, these two teams feel each other out. Because, yeah, I'm expect, expecting the Bucks to want to really grind it down into the half court. uh, And the Suns to, you know, be okay with that, but try and get out in transition a little bit too.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree, and and I suppose just due to the fact that the Bucs have seemingly you know have have gone all in on this big front court where they you know they're rolling out Giannis Tucker and Lopez as well. Whereas yep. we talked about it before, like the Suns are maybe a little bit smaller in the sense that they play with two wings out there with Crowder and uh, with Bridges. Like, yep. are, are the are going to try to like pound the Suns to death? Like that, that's going to be an interesting element to it all. How how much do they want to slow down? this particular finals matchup match like that, that'll be very interesting, but you sort of touched on it there. Like I guess where I think the Suns could really do this is in their half court offense, because I'm, I'm interested to see what defense the Bucks play. And like they've been, you know, they've been playing their traditional drop coverage, but they're also been switching a lot in the playoffs as well. Yep. So like, yep. how are they going to handle that Chris Paul or, or Devin Booker at, with uh, DeAndre in setting the pick? Like how are they going to handle that? Like is Lopez going to continuously drop? And in that sense, a uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker just going to walk into their mid-range jumpers that they're just deadly at, or are they going to switch that and and in that sense like he's DeAndre and you know getting some more finishes at the rim or and, and and to that point like how are the Bucks sort of adjusting to that so like that that element of the game like the half-court offense and you know the Bucks defense versus the Suns mid-range game and just you know the, the clinical nature of the the way the Suns run their pick and roll with Chris Paul and Devin Booker like. That to me is just super fascinating, and I guess I just can't trust the Bucks at all, which is why I'd, <laughs> I'd lean towards the Suns getting this done. But uh, yeah, it's going to be super intriguing as to as to how it plays out. But like, I, I don't know if the if the Bucks can even sort of keep. The sun's off the three point line as well. Like, how many times do you have, have you seen Cam Johnson sort of just spot up in that weak side corner three, and it just mm. feels like every time he takes it, it's just going to go down. So he potentially could be a, a you know a very critical uh, role player in this series, where he's sort of just spotting up continuously, spacing the floor, and making it hard for the for the Bucks to sort of switch because if you you get it wrong and you leave someone open, and the Bucks have been switching in. Uh, not necessarily getting the right reads every single time, and maybe the Hawks didn't punish them enough. But against the Suns, where you have someone like Chris Paul running the pick and roll, who will find that right guy and will find the right roll guy open, like someone like Cam Johnson could really break open this finals, which is kind of crazy to say, but like he
0: could be in for a uh, a massive series. It's funny you say that. He uh, I picked him as my X factor yesterday okay. <laughs> uh, on, on my podcast. Uh, we had to pick. You know, one from the, the Suns and the Bucks each and uh Cam's just kinda had this uh bubbling away all playoffs, you know, really underrated type of guy. You look at his per 36 numbers and you're kinda like, oh, he probably should be playing more. He he's the best three point shooter on the team. Uh that didn't statistically play out during the regular season, but surprise, surprise we get to the playoffs Uh, and he's clearly the best three-point shooter on the team right now through the playoffs. And yeah, I think you're right. When a lot of attention is going to get put into Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, you might see the ball swing to that open corner quite a lot, and it might be the likes of Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, and and Jay Crowder in those spots. Jay and Mikael kind of are a little bit up and down, a little bit streaky, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Cam's the guy that you can really trust to knock down, yeah. you know, 40%, 45% of those looks, uh, particularly if they're open. I think he's shooting off the top of my head 55% on wide open looks in the playoffs and also 55% just from the corners. So, uh, yeah, he's going to... he he could go a long way to being uh, the reason the Suns end up taking this one out. I just can't wait to get the games where we're almost there, mate. And I, yeah. I just can't wait to start to see how some of this stuff might play out. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's going to be exciting. And if, like, for me, as an adopted Suns fan, I'm, I'm pretty excited, let alone you as an actual Suns fan. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sure you're, uh, you're, uh, you're pretty apt up about it. But yeah, like, Against the Clippers, I I don't know what the play is called or or how it's necessarily functioned every single time, but they ran this play where Chris Paul and DeAndre were in the pick and roll. They even had Devin Booker in it. Like they had their three main guys within sort of six feet of each other around the free throw line running that pick and roll. And then Cam Johnson sort of floating in the weak side corner. Either Booker or or Paul hit him for the three and it was just like. Every time he gets that and he's that wide open, like that is going down. So yeah, if he can hit his two, three, maybe four threes a game, then um that could really break up this finals. And again, another synergy to the Bulls because, you know, he was teammates with with Kobe White. Kobe White had that viral moment on draft night about Cam Johnson. So <laughs> yep. yeah, th- there are a lot of crossovers between the Bulls and the Suns, and that's why I I would like to see this Suns team get it done. Um, uh, because I'm talking myself into maybe this being somewhat uh I don't know if it can be um, replicated here in Chicago, but um, maybe some version of it can be. But uh, that's the way I'm sort of talking myself into it. But uh, nonetheless, mate, I appreciate you coming on the show, talking all things Suns. Uh, I'm hopeful that they get it done for my sake. But um, even for you, more so importantly, uh, it would be awesome to see, uh, you know, the Suns winner for you guys. You have fans like you who have been sort of with the team for for years now, 28 years since they've been to the finals. Yeah. I, I don't believe they have a title, if I'm not mistaken. They don't, no. Yeah, so like this would be a huge, a huge, uh, a momentous sort of situation if they were to come away with the win here. And I guess just th- this season ending with the championship. I couldn't imagine if I was a Suns fan and I'm an adopted Suns fan. Like I couldn't imagine a more perfect season. To be honest with you, if they can sort of finish this season, capitalize it with a with a championship coming almost from nowhere to to being a
0: title winner, yeah, I'm hopeful they can get it done for you, mate. Yeah, we're all pinching ourselves a little bit at the moment. It just feels like one of those Hollywood stories, you know. Yeah. Particularly <laughs> after the the eight and uh bubble run and and still not making the playoffs, you know, everyone. Comments now looking back, that it all kind of just seems like it was was meant to be in in some respects. And as much as we feel like we're playing with with house money now, and and all the pressure is on the bucks. Uh, you, you mentioned it there. We don't have a title hanging in the in the rafters uh, in Suns Arena. So uh, you know, as much as we're trying to talk ourselves into being a, a win win scenario here and, and nothing to lose, and everything being uh, on Giannis and and the guys on the other side of the court. Uh, I know every Suns fan really really wants to finish this one out with the, with the fairy tale ending and, and the ring at the end of it. As an adopted Suns fan, I kind of want to see them just come out and just win 4-0. That way, I can just get over <laughs> these nerves and they, they
1: just get it done. I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about it going to a game second, game seven rather, the last possession of a game seven. I, I don't want to go through those nerves because I just don't know if I, I can handle it, let alone you. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to, you you never know when these opportunities come around. It's been 28 years for the Suns in the, since they've last been in the finals and you know, for someone like Chris Paul, but even the younger guys, Monty Williams, for it to end in a championship, like that would be sick. So um,
0: yeah, fingers crossed for you, mate. But do you have a prediction at all? Uh, I tipped yesterday. uh, Not great for my health, but if Giannis plays, I think it's Suns in seven. uh, And if Giannis misses any time, I think it might be Suns in six. So I'm pretty confident going into this one. But uh, yeah, I'll take the the slightly shorter series for my health, but uh, (laughs) I'm expecting uh, some close ones here where I just hope the Suns can, uh, I guess, make the most of their home court advantage and, and eke out the series win.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, oh, look, I'm I'm going to go sons in six as well, but similar to what you said, I hopefully it goes a little bit a little bit quicker. Um, yeah. that way for our for maybe our mental health. we we just get it done quicker and the Suns, get it, <laughs> the Suns get it sorted. But um, look, I appreciate you coming on, mate. This was fun for me. Like I said, I I always love chatting with fellow Australians, um, even if they're not you know Bulls fans. So uh, just talking basketball with. Uh, if, another Australian. It's not something that we often get a chance to do, um, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know you uh, plugged your stuff before, but uh, before you get away, tell, tell the people again where they can follow your stuff online because over the coming weeks, it's going to be appointment viewing for people uh, to tune into your stuff online. So uh, where can they do that?
0: Yeah, just find me on Twitter, guys. I've really appreciated the chat. I do think there are a lot of synergies between The Suns and the Bulls, I'm assuming most people listening will probably be Bulls fans. So hopefully you've got this far along the podcast uh, without switching off with my boring Suns talk (laughs) uh, just yet. But yeah, find me on Twitter at The 4 Point Play, The IV Point Play. Uh, I won't expect you to subscribe to my uh, newsletter, which is very, very Sun-centric. But uh, yeah, feel free to follow me. Uh, I'll be covering the finals uh, as much as I possibly can from down here in Australia and uh, yeah always willing to talk basketball online with with anyone so um, yeah reach out and uh, happy to have a chat thanks mate well I appreciate you coming on and, and look I, I, I
1: I'm not just saying this but I definitely endorse people to uh, to go follow David's stuff because even if you're not a Suns fan you you will learn something about basketball because he's breaking down a film constantly um, and and it's just fun to think about how how the What the Suns are doing is maybe applied or could be applied in a situation like Chicago, for example. So, if you want to learn about basketball, I suppose, and given the fact that the Suns are in the finals, go follow David. So, uh, mate, I appreciate you coming on and, um, yeah, good luck over the coming weeks. Thanks, mate cool well thanks again for david coming on the podcast while you're out there following him on twitter you can do so with me as well at mk hoops if you want to follow the podcast on twitter too you can at Bulls hq pod if you want to be part of the Bulls hq discord and why wouldn't you especially as we're getting closer to the off season shoot me a dm on twitter and i will drop you an invite link also i, I hate asking for this stuff but i've been told I should, to, I should do so so i will begrudgingly ask in the event that you're liking what you're hearing help out your favorite australian bulls podcaster by heading over to iTunes and uh, giving the show a five-star review and um, better yet, tell a mate about Balls HQ and get them to tune in. That would be a huge help. If you have any uh, suggestions, questions, or any ideas for the show, my door, or, or in this case, my email, my email is always open. Drop me a line bullshqpod at gmail.com. And with that, the self-serving plugs are done. So let's get out of here again. Thanks to David for coming on Bulls HQ slash Suns HQ. Thank you to all, all you for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. We'll be diving back into more Bulls topics I guess once the final starts to wrap up, we can start start thinking about the offseason, the Bulls offseason, what they should or shouldn't be doing. But uh, but first, let, let's let soak up and enjoy this finals run here. So until next time, this has been Suns HQ. Go get it done, CP3. Speak next time, Bulls fans.